Dear founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. Before we start today's episode, I want to take a second to thank you. In just a few short months, this podcast has reached some incredible milestones, namely helping so many of you. Not only have so many of you trusted me here, but also through my classes and one-on-one programs that I now offer. Your belief in me is so appreciated, and now I can help you grow your personal brand or your company's community through content, social media, partnerships, email collaborations, and more. Please just click on the show notes and fill out the form. You can grab 30 minutes with me for a free consult. I'd love the chance to work with you, to get to know you, and to get to know your business. If you like what you're hearing on Dear Founder, please make sure to take out your phone, scroll down. Yes, please do it now because your phone is in your hand and leave leave a review or a five-star rating. You have no idea how much that helps me, how much it helps the podcast. I would so, so, so appreciate it. So I've been enthralled with today's guest, Carrie Colber, and her story since the first time I talked with her. With her unique blend of skills and talents, Carrie Colbert thrives at the intersection of business and creativity. Her business expertise and experience uniquely position her to empower women in business to accelerate their paths to success. From a small town in the Texas panhandle, Carrie was the valedictorian of her high school. After graduation, she moved 550 miles away to attend the University of Texas at Austin, where she received a full-ride scholarship to study petroleum engineering and subsequently graduated at the top of her class. She became the first in her family to graduate from college. After graduation, she moved to Houston, where she began an almost 20-year career in the oil and gas industry. After working at Anadarko for five years, Carrie was recruited to work at Hillcorp. That decision proved pivotal to her career. Having equity and ownership during a time of great company growth was, frankly, life-changing for Carrie. So in 2016, Carrie, quote, retired from that industry at age 38. Up until that point, all of her education and professional choices had been very pragmatic and practical in nature. But now she had the freedom to finally build her next professional chapter with intention. Without knowing what was next, she stepped away from a lucrative career determined to craft her next role with purpose and passion. In the interim, Carrie became a colorful content creator slash influencer slash blogger via her at Carrie C Instagram account and her CarrieColbert.com website. In doing so, she began connecting with women entrepreneurs, both online and offline. And shortly thereafter, she began investing her own money into female-founded companies like Pact Party and more. In just five short years, that generated a 10-time ROI. With an overflowing pipeline of great deals, Carrie officially launched Curate Capital in 2021, her VC fund. 
Carrie is so amazing. I'm so excited for you to not only meet her and hear her story, but to hear some of the incredible advice that she has for female founders and honestly, any founder anywhere in the world. So come on in and meet Carrie Colbert. All right. Today on Dear Founder, we have Carrie Colbert, who is the founding and general partner at Curate Capital. And Carrie is someone who I'm actually only talking to today for the second time, but I was connected to her through my prior life at Bump Club and Beyond when I interviewed her as a mom. Just I wanted to, we featured her on something. I can't remember what it was, but it was all about her life as a mom and a mom who had a big belief in female founders. And that is something that really drew me to Carrie is that she is a champion for female entrepreneurs. And we obviously speak the same language. And I'm so excited that she's here. So Carrie, welcome to Dear Founder. Thank you, Lindsay. So glad to be here. And I'm so excited for you to share your story. And I know a lot of your story, but I would love for you to take our audience and our listeners just kind of through the journey of how you got to where you are today with Curate Capital. Absolutely. Well, while I sit here today as a venture capital investor, that was certainly not the planned direction of my life. It actually wasn't even on the radar screen. So a very untraditional path to get where we are today. But I can say with confidence that I'm certainly in my professional sweet spot, so to speak, and I'm really you know, excited to be where I am. So backing up, I'm from a super small town in the Texas panhandle. I grew up um, you know, valedictorian, top of my class, was good at math and science. And, and I was the first person in my family to go to college. And I remember my high school counselor telling me, well, you're really good at math and science. You should study engineering. And I'm like, great, what is that? And there happened to be only one engineer in my little town. She said, well, you should go talk to, to Mike and he'll tell you more about it. And well, I, so I, I remember sitting across his desk and he, um, so I'm a petroleum engineer. I went to the University of Texas. You should do the same. I'll put in a good word for you. And, and thus began my path into petroleum engineering. So um, I say all that to say that early on, all of my career decisions were very practical and pragmatic in nature. It was like, okay, what can I study that'll get me a good job, that'll pay the bills and so on and so forth, right? Like just kind of practical, um, making sure I could support myself and all that was well and good. Um, graduated the top of my class of engineering and then moved to Houston to start working in the energy industry. The turning point for me came about five years into my career. I went to work for a company. It's a privately held company. Um, and while it was still oil and gas, which was still never anything I was passionate about, I was passionate about the entrepreneurial aspect of this company. The guy who started it is now a, a billionaire. When I started, the company was worth less than $100 million, And when I exited a dozen years later, we were over $5 billion. And what was so exciting to me was, one, part of, be a part of the leadership team, but then two, really learning um, and soaking up all those entrepreneurial lessons um, from him. So he was really creative insofar as how he structured the company, how he structured incentives to really align everyone in the organization and get everyone moving in the right direction and working towards the same goals. And so some of those entrepreneurial lessons I'll carry with me forever. Um, secondly, besides those lessons, the other benefit was that um, you know we had ownership. That was a big part of you know his his way of getting everyone aligned um, with what they were working towards. And so ownership was transformative for me. I was there during a time of a lot of growth. And that ultimately gave me the flexibility to um, retire, if you will, about seven years ago from that chapter of my professional life. And 
I did so unsure of what was next. My my whole thing was this has been great. I've learned a lot, but I want to see what what what's the next uh, chapter going to look like. What is the rest of my life going to look like? And I was committed to two things. One, for it to be entrepreneurial in nature. I knew I loved that. But then two, I wanted it to be something that aligned with my personal interests and values um, a little bit more explicitly than my first career had. And so long story short, um, I also had kind of a chapter of being an influencer-ish sort of thing um, on the internet um, in between there. And I say that only because it's significant to where we are now. So uh, I was on Instagram in the early days, you know, how to blog, all that. And quite frankly, well, you that's have a how, very big following. So, well, I, I, you know, I, I am not a big deal on the internet. I'm really not. <laughs> I've got maybe like 85,000 followers. And, um, but I will say that the people that follow me, many of, uh, of those women have been long time loyal followers. I was actually on Instagram the week it launched, um, which is why I have a very short handle. It's just at Carrie C. Um, and so some of those ladies have been following me the whole time Instagram has been around, which I think is like what, 11 or 12 years now, but then a lot of them actually predate that. And I won't even go into, uh, you know, online forums and all sorts of things, you know, before social media was even a thing. So really engaged, you know, loyal community there, but I bring it up because that's actually how I started connecting with female founders, you know, brands that I liked companies I liked. You know, whether I was following them or they were following me, you know, we just kind of naturally started that relationship. And that's how I started investing in female founded businesses. You know, I'd reach out or they would and, hey, I like your brand. I like what you're doing. You know, are you looking to take on any investors? Are you, you know, thinking of, of growing your company? How can I help with that? And so really, you know, everything is relationship driven and it's about laying that groundwork you know, maybe before they they know that they want to raise capital, before they're looking to grow, but but really building that that foundation of, of trust and respect um, mutually. So, after I retired from oil and gas, I spent about five plus years investing my own money, basically like reinvesting everything I made in oil and gas into these sorts of female founded companies. And three key things happened for me. One, I had great fun, and and I don't take that lightly because in my past career. <clears throat> excuse me, fun was not necessarily a word I use very often to describe my professional life. So one, you know, just enjoying myself was a big thing. So great fun, great success. Number two, um, over that five you know, year time frame, I, I had a great track record of, of returns that I had earned then. And so I'm like, okay, so this is working. But then three, what was really key and the reason I started Curate Capital, the venture capital fund, is that I was getting great deal flow. So Great fun, great success, but then great deal flow telling me there's so much more of this work to be done. There's so many more great companies that need that capital, that that need that, you know, expertise and advice and input that that we offer. And so, quite frankly, couldn't fund them all out of my own pocket. And so I was like, okay, I guess we're starting a fund. And so that is my unconventional path that got me to be a venture capitalist today. Now, a few comments on that. I think. Being an outsider to, to any industry can be such an advantage, right? Like you question things and you look at things differently than the incumbents do. And so that's been super cool to, to just reimagine, like, what can venture capital look like? Does it have to look the way it has always looked? Does it have to, you know, be all serious and stodgy and um, formal and all that? Or is there, a, is there room to shake some things up? 
obviously I've had to learn some of the conventional wisdom and there, some of it's conventional wisdom for good reason. And we embrace that, but we also are excited to, to bring some new energy and bring some new perspectives and bring some new people on board for this, uh, this venture capital ride. You, so you, before you started curate, you were creating your MVP without even probably realizing you were creating your MVP. You were, you were creating this, like, you know, you were getting to understand that there was a need for people to get capital. Women, women founders do not get any capital. It is such a struggle for them to find the capital. You were doing that and infusing businesses and seeing a return on your investment before you even had your fund. And so you were able to prove your concept and the need for your fund before you even were like, I want to do this. Lindsay, I really like the way you, you put that, the MVP concept. I hadn't really framed it that way. I really like that. I'm going to steal that uh, phraseology. Steal away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but exactly. And, you know, the stats are are still horrible. We're in 2022 and the um, and the stat still holds true that women get less than 2% of venture capital dollars. Now, I, I've, I hear that a lot in the kind of conventional wisdom speak. And there's been a lot of talk about years for years, how awful that is. We need to fix this. And unfortunately, just to be blunt, the needle hasn't moved. In fact, it's gone down if you look at the percentages uh, over the last few years. So the needle hasn't moved. Okay, so how do we flip the script on that a little bit? And so as I've been fundraising, I look at that more as an opportunity. In fact, I, I kind of term it an opportunity arbitrage. Here's the situation. If women, and they are, underfunded, and largely overperforming, and there are all sorts of studies to back that up, that women-founded businesses overperform, they deliver more returns, you know, on average than their male counterparts, you know, all these good things. They're underfunded, they're overperforming, and then I have somewhat of an inside track because of relevant relationships in the space and, you know, good results so far, then all the better, right? That is an arbitrage that hopefully won't exist forever. But right now we're going to do all we can to take advantage of that to drive really good returns for our investors. So, you know, I like to spin it on its head and say, yeah, I mean, of course it's a bad thing. And I think a lot of people lead with that. Like it's just so awful. But as I've been fundraising, I, I've tried to, to frame it a little bit differently. Like, Hey, this is an opportunity right here. Get in on these deals. You know, we negotiate the terms really well. Um, these businesses really need the capital. They also really need the community of support and expertise around them that this brings. And, and I'm not just talking about me, but, you know, just building the whole ecosystem of supportive founders who can support one another, but also our LP base is very largely women, which I think is another unique thing about us. Um, in fact, I, I think, don't know what the final numbers are going to be, but let's um, talk round numbers. Over 80% of my investors are women. And many of whom are successful in their own right professionally, you know, whether it's um, building their own business or, you know, having you know, specific expertise in their, their corporate careers, those women have things to bring to the table as well. And so I don't look at this as a one-way street where investors, you know, uh, throw money at me, I invest it in business, and it's just kind of a linear one-way street. I think of this as a, an ecosystem where we can all really learn from one another, you know, glean, you know, helpful um, resources from one another and, and really just foster kind of success and empowerment all around the ecosystem. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high-quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast. As I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast, Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. Well, I also think, too, that that's very inherent to female founders. You know, I mean, most female founders that come on this podcast that I talk to every single day, they tell me when I raise money or when I raised money or if I raise money, I'm not just looking for a cash infusion. I'm looking for a community. I'm looking for support. I'm looking for the knowledge. And that was really what drew me to you in our initial conversation was I found you because you were an influencer, really. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. why I found you initially for Bump Club. But then when I was digging and realized what you were doing, and that's kind of you were in the early stages of Curate, you know, what drew me to you was your passion, not just surrounding raising money, but really in giving these women the gift of the community and the resources that go along with raising, with with being a part of Curate Capital. And so, you know, I think that that, that is just, that's really sets you apart from probably a lot of VCs. Well, thanks. We are certainly still in the early stages. Um, We're closing our first fund to new investors within the next 30 days or so. Um, And then we'll be really kind of fleshing out this community aspect of it. But I will go ahead and give you some kind of breaking news I haven't shared anywhere else yet. But in in keeping in, in mind this kind of uh, community component, I'm very excited about a, a development we've had on the investor side. And, and I got to back up a, a little bit to tell you all about it, but it, it goes to exactly the point you were making. As I was investing, you know, just kind of in my angel investing days, as I was investing my own money, I saw that a lot of our CEOs and founders were excited to have me as an investor because I was an influencer, you know, had a little bit of uh, online clout, not a lot, but a little bit. I at least understood influencer marketing. I understood, you know, how to do an influencer campaign. I understood, you know, raising brand awareness and driving sales, those sorts of things. So I saw that the founders were excited about that. And so that was intriguing to me. And I kind of kept noodling over it, uh, you know, thinking over it, thinking how, how can we expand on that, you know, as I started Curate. And and naturally, um, I got some inbound interest from some of my influencer friends who are like, oh, yeah, I get what you're doing. I've got a little extra money. I'd love to invest with you. Great. And, and so then I started getting a little bit more excited about this concept of, of influential investing and, and really putting our, our you know money where our mouth is, so to speak, and supporting those businesses, not just with our money, but then also with our influence, whether online or offline, but particularly, you know, in this context, online influencers. And so, you know, I was kind of thinking about this, but but not sure how you kind of get the tipping point of that. 
And then it was a, a perfect um, storm or a perfect, uh, I don't know, perfect right right place, right time sort of deal where um, there's an agency here in town um, who approached me um, and they were considering um, uh, some scenarios in which they could help their influencers kind of plan for their long-term financial trajectory. And we're considering maybe doing a venture fund themselves one day or something. But it was like, well, why would I build a, a venture fund from scratch when you've been doing this for you know, a year or two or seven, depending on how you count it. And and then from my perspective, I'm going, yes, you've got all these influencers on board. You've got all this knowledge and expertise in the influencer marketing arena. This makes total sense. And so the way that it's worked out is that the the agency itself has invested into Curate um, pretty uh, strongly. But then what we did was open up the opportunity to their roster of influencers. And I got to say, these women get it right away because they've seen so many case studies where they've done campaigns with brands, where brands have really grown on the back of influencer marketing, so to speak. And then they've seen a few that have ultimately had those exits that have been significantly valued. And they've kind of been left wondering, like, how do we get a bigger piece of that pie? At the same time, they want to stick to what they do best. And that's, you know, share things with their community, promote, you know, sales, all that sort of, of, of stuff. They don't want to be running due diligence. And so while they get approached a lot, like, hey, you want to invest in my company? You want to invest in this? They don't necessarily know how to do that or want to do it. And so it, it's really the perfect combination where they can invest and curate. They can be just as passive as any other LP if they want, or we'll be sure and equip them with all the product and knowledge and you know all that sort of thing that if they want to incorporate some of our company's products into their content, then all the better, you know, that that aspect of being able to influence their family's financial future because they know, you know, if they post about a product, they can drive this much in sales. And that's ultimately going to help the value of the company as we all move towards, you know, ultimately selling those companies. So which is very that's a really interesting and also new concept. You know, I don't mean I don't really think yes. anyone else is doing this and who better to do it than you who understands it, you know? Well, thanks. It, it, it goes back to that MVP idea you gave me where I guess I was kind of doing that myself. I, I saw the excitement of having a, a, you know, influential investor for me personally, as I was negotiating deals. So how much better um, will it be when we have this at scale with really millions of followers, you know, who are, are invested in what we're doing um, and, and really, you know, trying to grow these companies alongside me. So it really beefs up our um, ability to really add value in a very tangible way to our portfolio companies. And really, it's a creative to the whole ecosystem again, right? Not only does it help our portfolio companies, but heck, it's going to help all of our other investors to have all these influential people talking about the companies and products that we're invested in. Exactly. So I want to walk through two scenarios with you. So Mm -hmm. I want to talk about Kind of just when you start, when you started curate, you you decided, okay, I'm going to make this official and I'm going to create a fund. And what does that look like? What does that look like for you? And I, you know, I want to really like dial this back in terms that, you know, pretend like I don't know anything about VCs because a lot of the people listening don't. And this is the kind of knowledge that I wish that I knew when I was starting Bump Club. So if you have a VC, like you have this VC, what are you doing every day? What is like, what does this look like? How do you get people to invest in it? And then I want to talk about the converse, which is if I were looking for an investment of cash, 
what do I, what are you looking for in, in a company to invest in? I want to really kind of look at this from both angles. And I think there's a lot of awesome knowledge that can come out of this, these two scenarios. Yes. I'm happy to dive into both of those. You've touched on something that I would term kind of a secondary mission for myself. And that's kind of breaking down these barriers to understanding and getting involved in venture capital. The first step is, is just making it more understandable, right? You know, as long as just a few people, you know, understand the terms and, you know, language and all that around venture capital, well, then they're going to hold that knowledge and power to themselves. But if we can just talk about it in ways we can all understand, then more people you know, can get on board and figure out if it's a good fit for them and their company or their personal finances or whatever. So that's one of my personal missions because quite frankly, I didn't know all that much about venture capital before I got started. Certainly I'd been exposed to it some in my energy career from more from the private equity standpoint, but you know, it's not super transparent, but thankfully it's actually not that complicated. And thankfully we live in an age where, you know, we have Google and all those sorts of things. So I learned a lot over the last, you know, gosh, two and a half years, I guess at this point, but basically I'll start at the very beginning of how venture capital works. So, okay. If I'm a venture capital investor, I go invest in a company. So I give you money and I help you too, but I give you money. And the goal is that you keep all that money, you invest in your business. And even if you're making profits, you would reinvest those profits. But the goal is that we're growing the company maybe over the next five to seven years. And then ultimately you're going to sell that company. It could go public, you know, on the, the stock exchange, or it could be acquired by a bigger company. And that's really where the bulk of ours will fall is that they'll probably be acquired by a bigger corporation, a strategic partner, something like that. So I, as a venture capitalist and all my investors, we don't get paid until you sell that company. Up until then, you're going to reinvest all the profits and the proceeds to grow it more and faster than you were before, right? So that's the whole idea behind it. Let's all work together, grows this thing as fast and as much as we can. And then we all basically get a payday you know, when the company sells. So that's the basic premise. Now, in terms of like, what did I do to start one? Well, the first thing was to kind of surround myself with um, people more knowledgeable than me. Uh, so found a good, you know, venture capital legal um, firm to, to handle our document setup and all that sort of stuff. Found a, a way to do the back office kind of admin accounting for the fund and and really, that's been where the bulk of my learning has come over the last couple of years is like, how do you administer a fund? Because that's a whole task in and of itself, right? Like you get investors signed up, but then how do you account for everything? And how do you, you know, handle all that side of it? So big learning curve there. The other side is evaluating deals and making the investments. You know, once you get the investor money, how do you make those investments? And in that part, I felt a little bit more knowledgeable and comfortable in. I enjoy that part. That's what I, you know, enjoyed for that five years or so. So that part was fine, but but learning the mechanics of how to raise a fund and then, you know, administer a fund was a, a whole new game for me. So those so are, if, are some of the I key components. Am, if I am a person who has money that I want to invest. Like, what do, like, do you go out to people or do people find you or both? And is there like a minimum? Like, how does that work? Yes. Great question. So this country has some, um, I'll call them antiquated rules, um, silly rules that we still have to work uh, within. And so the SEC tells me that as a traditional venture capital fund, I can't openly solicit. That means I can't go online and give you the hard sell for why you must invest. I can't do hard selling online. But what I found to be super effective 
was just what I would call building in public, right? Like, as I just share about what I'm doing, hey, our fund just invested in this company and this company's doing this, or whatever, like women get it and they understand the value proposition. And so as I talked about it naturally, I would get these questions like, well, who can invest? How can I get involved? So some of the other constraints that the SEC puts on me, um, it, which is fine, there, there are reasons for them, but the SEC says to invest in venture capital, you have to be an accredited investor. Well, a lot of people are accredited and don't know it. So then let's break that down. What is an accredited investor? Well, you can look up the details online, but basically there are two ways to qualify. Either there's an income requirement. It's like $200,000 a year um, if you're single or $300,000 as a family, or you can have a net worth requirement. And I think it's a million dollars excluding your primary residence. But a lot of people meet that income requirement, but this whole term of accredited investor kind of gives the impression that um, that you have to apply or qualify for something. And so some people are accredited and don't know it. So that happened with a, a lot of um, women who follow me. They're like, oh, well, I qualify for that. What do I do next? So the, the next step is that typically, you know, you'll draw up these legal documents for your fund that say, you know, what the minimum investment is. Well, most funds will have like maybe a half million dollar minimum investment or 250 or something because the government puts in one other restraint on me is that I can only have a grand total of 99 investors. And so you can do the math yourself, but if I'm raising $10 million and I can only have less than a hundred investors, I set my minimum as low as I practically could at $100,000. Now, I also have some latitude to, to go around that, but that's the basic idea um, that I have to work with. So I've got to have accredited investors and I can only have a max of 100. So within that, though, I can kind of m maneuver it as I see fit. So all that to say with a smallish fund like ours and 10 million is small in the VC world, my investor base is is pretty much all individuals. So, um, you know, I think uh, as we we grow and we raise bigger funds, then you'll open the doors for some of those institutional investors, you know, whether it's pensions or family offices or corporations. But when you're starting out, it's a $10 million fund. One thing I've learned is that, you know, we, we made ourselves too small to really qualify for some of those. So like a, a big company, they may not write checks smaller than $5 million and they don't want to have 50% of one fund. So, you know, we're really too small for them, but I'm actually excited about the way it's turned out because it's turned out to be this kind of grassroots effort of, of everyday women, so to speak, individual women who are funding these businesses that women are building for other women. So in my mind, this is you know the perfect scenario where we've got this kind of fully female ecosystem of, of women empowering other women. So I personally am excited about how it's turned out. That's amazing. And so now though, if, if I as a brand want yep. to come to you to invest, how does that work? Great question. And this is not only is there a lack of transparency on the, you know, investor side, but I think there's a lack of transparency on the venture capital side in terms of, you know, who do you invest in? What kind of companies do you invest in? And, you know, we'll do our part to try to make that a little bit more clear. But from a high level standpoint, I'd say that we invest in businesses by women for women. So that is female founded companies that are building the solutions that the female consumer wants and needs. Okay, so technically we're industry agnostic, but practically speaking, about half or more of our companies are CPG brands. The other half are a 
really fun mix. We've got a medical device, a fintech company, a future of work company, but all of them, you know, have some unique way that they are catering to the female um, needs and wants. So that's our portfolio as it stands to date. For Curate Capital and where I'm comfortable and what our sweet spot is, is, you know, early, but not too early. I um, really am not kind of an idea stage person. I'm not what they would call pre-seed stage. I'm more kind of the pre-series A, that's what they would call it in the, the, the conventional wisdom. But I look for companies that have a lot of good things going on. So there's, a, there's already revenue where it's applicable, good revenue traction, good customer traction, you know, good, good metrics around that. You know, they've got a strong community. I like investing in women with strong personal brands because I know they have the kind of clout to, to do the job of, of running the company. So influential women um, with strong traction where we know that we can come in with our capital as well as our expertise whether that's influencing influencer marketing, you know, our network um, of connections, all those things where we know specifically that what we bring to the table can really help create that hockey stick effect that the companies are looking for. So what are some tips for a founder who's looking to enter the VC market? I mean, like what, you know, what would you tell someone and whether it's you or someone else, I think, you know, there are, there are, a lot of things that just a lot of founders don't know. They don't know how to navigate yeah. this. Like, what would be three tips that you would give to someone who's like, I think I want to invest. I want to get investors. Yep. First of all, work on crafting that story. It usually takes the form of a pitch deck, you know, that you'll send out maybe before you even meet with the the investor. But work on your story. It's all about storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there are a million companies out there, but. I want to know what problem are you solving? How are you solving it? But then also, why are you the key person to solve that problem? And and usually that brings in some personal experience or some reason that this really resonated with you and you feel so passionately about it. So for me, that's important, especially when we're coming in. Yes, you've got some revenue and traction, but I want to know why you're so passionate about solving this problem. Um, So really hone in on your story of yourself and your brand. But then secondly, I would say start laying the groundwork with investors long before you need a check. At least for me, that's where I'm most comfortable operating. And so, you know, you may not be currently needing to raise money, but start, you know, connecting with people on LinkedIn, on social media, um, you know, land in their their inbox and, you know, just ask for a, a meeting. Do those sorts of things so that they know of you and your company before you're in dire straits, right? Like don't, don't hit up a venture capitalist a week before your, your bank account is going to go negative <laughs> because that's not, you know, really good for anyone, but start laying that groundwork informing those relationships. And that doesn't mean that you have to be super well-connected and super, um, you know, entrenched in the venture capital world. I mean, anyone can do that now, you know, whether it's through LinkedIn or whatever, um, go do that. You know, you have to go do that work to, to reach out, be bold, kind of get out of your comfort zone. If it's in your, you know, not, you know, what you would normally do, but be so bold as to reach out and do those things ahead of time, get that feedback, take it into account, you know, tweak your story, tweak your pitch deck, whatever it is. And then when you're ready to, to actually raise capital, you've gotten that feedback. You've already kind of refined your story. You've already laid the groundwork for that relationship at least for me, I'm much more comfortable um, making those investments where I've got some sort of history with the founder. That doesn't mean we can't make cold investments that are kind of you know real quick, but 
I, I like to kind of follow the journey for a little bit before I decide to write, say, a half a million dollar check. Yeah, no, totally. So you said something at the beginning of our conversation that I want to go back to. And you said that, you know, this second part of your career was more aligned with your personal values. And obviously, you know, you said like, this was more fun and, you know, oil and gas (laughs) and electricity. I mean, that stuff is not fun. Like I'm not, you know, but obviously Carrie Colbert 1.0 influenced Carrie Colbert 2.0. And so I would, even though this is more aligned with you and your personal values and really what you want to be doing and clearly what lights you up inside, what are some of those skills that you honed from 1.0 that really you know, transferred over to making you a success today? Great question, Lindsay. I think that's why I'm so jazzed about being at this stage because it is the ultimate kind of culmination of everything I had learned uh, to date. I'm a big believer that like no experience is lost, right? Even if you take from that experience, like, hey, I did not like X, Y, and Z. Great. Make sure your future doesn't include X, Y, and Z, but I'm really good at A, B, and C. So let me make sure that whatever I'm doing, you know, includes A, B, and C. I mean, you're kind of the designer or architect or engineer, whatever you want to call it. You're the the architect of your own life. And so craft it to include those things you like and include uh, those things you're good at, but leave the rest aside. And so for me, Again, I mentioned the entrepreneurial aspect. I knew I liked the entrepreneurial side of things, but I'm also forever grateful for my engineering background. Even though I don't use it explicitly, I think that thinking like an engineer, processing data, you know, my my nerdy spreadsheet loving self, you know, gets to come to life uh, every day these days. Um, so, you know, those analytical skills uh, really still serve me well. Um, kind of the finance perspective. Um, through my MBA and my work, you know, really being able to 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 build a capital forecast, to be able to build um, all sorts of spreadsheet models, and and to think with that, you know, uh, financial mind um, in gear is a big game changer. So, what I find with a lot of our founders is that they've got really great creative ideas, they've got really great. Um, hustle and energy and, and, and all sorts of things, but maybe they didn't have a finance background. And so just being able to bring some expertise, yeah, to the table there helps a lot. Now, in other people, they probably are way ahead of me on the finance side, but yeah, so it's not a, a broad brush statement I just made, but just in some cases, like I can bring that to the table and be like, oh, well, let's, let's build a, a you know, a plat- let's build a, a spreadsheet that, that helps us with that or whatever. So yeah, I mean, so my analytic skills, um, but then also I've always had a creative side and I kind of alluded to this uh, earlier, but you know, there's the influencer kind of fashiony, travel-y stuff. But even before that, like I always had a creative outlet, um, whether it was kind of in the crafting realm, I was really big into scrapbooking for a while um, back when that was a, a big thing, but I've always had kind of a creative side hustle. And so this kind of melds my analytical side with also my creative side. And I get to do things I love every day and work with women I adore and brands that I I personally am a fan of and get to help grow those companies now. I also want to say Carrie's Instagram is beautiful. I mean, seriously, <laughs> and it shows your creativity. Days, it, no, it is. I mean, it's you. just so colorful and like, it's beautiful. So check it out if you haven't, but I have two more things I want to ask you. So Okay. Where is Curate Capital today? I know you said you met your goal. You're closing your fund in 30 days. What does that mean? Right. So the way that venture capital works, again, the traditional way is that you have a fundraising period. And for us, it was like, um, it was a, a, 
I think 12 months is how it was laid out. And so that means after it's a legal kind of term, but legally our period ends. And so after that, we can't take any new investors into this fund, but I have a feeling we'll be, uh, you know, launching a second fund in, in fairly short order because we'll, we'll certainly invest all of this money pretty quickly. So once I close the fund, what that means for me personally is that I can breathe a sigh of relief and not be so um, in the weeds of fundraising and then step back and we'll be, of course, evaluating new investment deals. Um, we've got plenty of those in the, the pipeline that we're excited about. But then the, the other thing I'm excited about is to step back and think strategically about our community of women that we built from the investors to the founders and CEOs to the influencers. And how can we really bring that to life, whether that's through podcast or you know a conference or all sorts of things that, that that we've been mulling over in terms of really you know igniting that community aspect of what we're building. So awesome. So you talk to female founders all the time, all day, every day. I mean this is what you do. You have built a business on female entrepreneurship. So what are three things you would tell a new entrepreneur, someone who's just getting started that they should do now and not wait on as they're launching their business? Great question. Oh, yeah. So some of the things that I, you know, would suggest would be number one, know your numbers. Um, while you may be creative and that may be your strength and your, um, you know, passion and what you enjoy, if you don't know your underlying numbers, you really don't know your business that well. And so the numbers really can illuminate your path as to in terms of what's working and what's not. And so the more you can understand those, you know, to to some extent can really guide the trajectory of your business. So know your numbers. In addition to knowing your numbers, number two, I would say really start building that community. I mean, that customer feedback is invaluable. And so, you know, you don't always just want to be selling to your people, provide some value to them over and above just selling product to them. I think you'll you'll really mutually benefit from that in the long term much more than if you just approach it from a selling relationship. So know your numbers, build that community. And then three, start laying the groundwork. Uh, with network connections. So not just with investors, but other founders. I mean, we we all need a community around us to support what we're doing. And none of us knows it all. And you know, I, I for one, am I'm committed to surrounding myself with people more wise than I am in many areas. And so, you know, if you know your numbers, you're listening to your community and your customers, and then you're laying the the framework for those strong relationships that are relevant to what you're doing, you know, around the ecosystem, investors, founders, you know, other influential people, you're really going to be teeing yourself up for success. So those would be some of the, the things that I would focus on in the early stages. And then, you know, just be willing to adapt. You may have a really big vision, but maybe in the short term, you know, one thing in particular is working really well. So focus on that one thing, do it really well. And then the big vision can still be there and it can ultimately come to fruition. But in the meantime, you've carved out a path for yourself that's going to get you through year one and year two and ultimately allow you to explore that bigger vision down the road. You are speaking my language. Thank you so much for saying all of those things because I say them all the time and I love being validated by smart people like yourself. So <laughs> Carrie Colbert, Colbert, thank you. So much for being here today, for being on Dear Founder. This is such a powerful episode filled with so much knowledge that we don't talk about often enough. And so I so appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us. Well, thank you, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. And thank you for everything you're doing for women. It's it's so important to have these conversations and really share knowledge you know, more freely than, than maybe has been done in the past. So I love what you're doing. Keep it up. And thanks for having me. Thank you. 
Carrie is so amazing and so are her takeaways. So get out your pen and paper. You want to make sure that you jot these down. Number one, being an outsider to any industry can be an advantage. You look at things differently than the incumbents. Number two, women are not getting more capital. They need The needle is unfortunately not moving up. Women-founded businesses are underfunded and overperforming, but this is actually an opportunity. Women don't need the funding, but they need the whole ecosystem of support surrounding them. Number three, when you start a fund or anything for that matter, surround yourself with people who are more knowledgeable than you are. Number four, per the SEC, a VC cannot openly solicit. You cannot do hard selling. But what is super effective is building in public, sharing what your fund is doing. That is something that Carrie did. And this is the same thing that you would do with any business that you start. When you talk about your VC or your business, naturally people ask how they can get involved. Number five, to invest in VC, you have to be an accredited investor. The details are online, but you have to either meet an income or a net worth requirement. Number six, funds often will have a minimum investment to invest because the government only allows 99 investors per fund. Number seven, if you want investors, you need to first work on your story. It's all about storytelling. There are a million companies, but Carrie has said that she wants to know what problem are you solving, how are you solving it, and why are you the key person to do it. Number eight, lay the groundwork with investors before you need the check. Connect with people people over email, social media, and other areas so that people know of you before you are in dire straits. Number nine, know your numbers. If you don't know your underlying numbers, you don't know your business that well. Number 10, build your community. Obviously, this is one of my favorites. You don't want to always be selling. You want to be nurturing and serving that community too. And number 11, start laying the groundwork with network connections and other founders early. I cannot thank you enough for being here and for joining us on today's episode of Dear Founder. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to take out your phone and leave us a review. We have some amazing guests coming up. So while you're at it, you can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. If you know someone who wants to start their own business or who is looking into the VC funding world, like the one that Carrie is in, please make sure that you share this episode with them. You can send it to them in a text or you can post it on Instagram. Make sure you tag me and I'll reshare it to say thank you. Stay tuned for another episode of Dear Founder coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday. 